take this thing away. We're back in our study tonight. <clears throat> I know some of you guys don't want to jump on that one. That one right there is a big boy right there. <clears throat> I need that clicker too. I don't know if it's up here or not, gentlemen. So if you can get that for me, that'd be great. All right. You're going to take it down there. We're in our study. True riches tonight. I thought how appropriate this past weekend, uh, the, the um, <clears throat> Brother Hamblin had said he uh, worked that thing out and they're going to give me some uh, doctorate or something. And uh, I thought about the uh, pastor there at that church uh, years ago, uh, Dr. Tom Malone. Dr. Tom Malone on Wednesday nights used to use an overhead. Yep. He'd have an overhead. And if you've ever listened to his lessons on Wednesday night, yep. guess he'd teach through the Bible and he'd use an overhead. We don't have an overhead tonight, but we basically have the same thing. It's called PowerPoint now. Right. <clears throat> same basic principle. It's the same exact thing, except we don't have to actually physically go over and flip the slides. Now we just click a button. And with slides flip up in front of us. So works out pretty good that way. And just happens that we're in a, t a, a series uh, that has to do with that. So <clears throat> real quickly, we're in our Worldly Riches study. And uh, this past week, we uh, started talking about uh, 
just the uh, worldly riches and considering a few of those things. And uh, we understood that there's some real problems with worldly riches. The biggest problem is, is that they're going to be burned up in the end. And so, you know, we can go ahead and strive our whole lives to try to amass wealth and try to, you know, just acquire all kind of things in the world. And in the end, it's not going to matter a hill of beans, so to speak. It's just not going to matter. And uh, in the end, it's all going to be burned up. And so we saw that. We understood that. And so as we did that, we would decide we're going to go ahead and get into ultimately uh, this uh, true riches study. We're going to be dealing out of the book of uh, Psalms chapter 23. You could take your Bible. You could turn there real quick if you like. Psalm chapter 23 tonight. And that, of course, is where we're going to be kicking things off and uh, working through our study. Last week, again, we just kind of set the stage for our study, and now we're going to start getting into it. We're going to understand uh, through this book of Psalm, chapter 23, what true riches really are. And again, we've got kind of a misunderstanding of what that is these days. It seems that people have all kind of ideas and all kind of you know, misconceptions, but the reality is, is God makes it pretty clear the things that are most important or should be most important to us. Psalm chapter 23. <clears throat> who will stand and read that from the King James Bible for me? Who will help me with that? All right, go ahead, brother. You're right in front. If you could just lift it up really loud so everybody can hear you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. For his I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All right, thank you. Very good. So Psalm chapter 23, a beloved psalm, a wonderful psalm. And we're going to find out from the book of Psalms, chapter 23, what true riches really are. And uh, we're going to start off today uh, by considering that first phrase. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love. Bless us tonight. Encourage us. And Lord, may you just work in our hearts. Lord, we desperately need you to speak to us. We face so many difficulties, Lord, in this life. I think about those on the prayer list, Lord. I can't fathom uh, what's going on in some of their lives. I think about Penny and, Lord, just uh, finding out not long ago, just a week or so ago, that uh, she possibly has a, a very advanced stage of cancer. We ask, dear God, that you'd help her. She's just 54 years old. 53. Lord, how desperate that would make a person feel, I got to imagine. And Lord, I just pray, dear God, that you just be with her, that you just wrap your arms about her as well as any, all these others on our prayer list. And Father, help us tonight to realize, Lord, that life is fleeing, fleeting. It's, it's, there's nothing guaranteed about it. We need to be prepared to meet you. And Lord, we need to make sure that we're investing in the right things. Help us, Father, to focus on true riches, Lord, not worldly riches. Well, thank you, Father, as you give us great grace as you enable us tonight to understand and to embrace your word. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. When we think about the Lord is my shepherd, that's a relationship. You start talking about true riches, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is definitely a true rich, true, a true riches. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, <clears throat> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will uh, come into him and sup with him and he with me. And uh, we see here there's a relationship. The Lord Jesus Christ stands inviting all those to come to him. It doesn't matter whether you're here in this service tonight, whether you're out there on the street somewhere or down at the haven of rest. It doesn't matter. 
God is opening his arms to each and every person in this world, obviously. Amen. And he says, come unto me. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Amen. So we're thankful today for the, per, the, the relationship that we can have in Christ Jesus by faith, by grace through faith. And that's it. It's not about effort. It's not about work. It's not about what we can do. It's about everything he's already done. Again, we've uh, often passed out that little booklet called Done. It's not, and, and basically the whole emphasis of the booklet is it's, it's what Christ has already done that uh, enables us to be saved. Not anything we can do. And I like that. We used to call it years ago the do-done theory, you know. Uh, you, you either do or it's already done. But the fact is if you're doing it, then you're never going to make it, okay? So <clears throat> thank God it's already done and been taken care of. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a relationship. You think that you have, whoa, you think that you have true riches. <clears throat> the fact is, is this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you virtually have nothing. Because in the end, it's all going to be burned up anyway, as we noted. Okay, so it's so important that we understand that. Now, when we talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a good example of that over in the book of Genesis chapter 5 as we deal with the, a particular character by the name of Enoch. Enoch, of course, was an interesting character, Genesis 5, through 24. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. <clears throat> we see in that, with those passages there a communion. We see that he walked with God. Now, that's exactly what God wants for us to do. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to be with him. Now, again, sometimes we take our own path, don't we? And we expect God to follow us. We expect God to kind of get on board with our routine, get on board with our dreams, get on board with our, uh, our future uh, you know, goals. But the reality is, is that we're to walk with God, not expect him to join us. We're to join him. That's why it's important to find out what God has for you in your life. That's why every young person ought to not ask the question. You shouldn't ask a young person, what do you want to do with your life? That's not the right question to ask a young person. What's Christ want you to do with your life? <clears throat> That's really the reality. Because when a person says, this is what I want to do, you're, you know, you're hoping that they don't really mean it that way. You're hoping that what they're really saying is, what, what God wants me to do is. Because if you're doing what you want to do, then let me tell you something, you're walking alone. That's not a good place to be. God wants you to walk with Him. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. God didn't walk with Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He wanted to be wherever God was. And you know what? That's the best place to be, wherever God is. Find where God is and get with him and walk with him. Now, we see not only the communion that we can have in Christ, which is something that he wants desperately for all of us, because he wants to fellowship with us, but consistency. Notice here, 300 years. <clears throat> 300 years. Isn't that something? You know, someone says, boy, I wish I could live 300 years. Well, you know, it's hard enough for us to stay faithful for just 20 or 30 or 40. You know what I mean? We struggle with that. Seems like, uh, as, as Brother Hamblin was even talking about, all these Christians, he talks about washing out. Well, you know what? Methuselah hung around. Uh, not Methuselah. He hung around a lot longer than that. But anyway, uh, uh, Enoch, he walked with God. And the Bible tells us he walked with him 300 years. 300 years. Can you imagine that? 300 years. Some folks can't walk three months or three years, or 30 years. But man, this guy, Enoch, walked with God for 300 years. And that's consistency right there. And that's what God wants for all of us, doesn't he? He wants us to be consistent. He wants us to be faithful, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, not only communion and consistency, but we also know compassion. The Bible says over here in this particular passage, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is a tremendous picture. 
Enoch is a tremendous picture of the church. You've got to remember that it wouldn't be very long that all of a sudden Noah would be building an ark and what would happen? A flood would come. Let me tell you something. This is a perfect picture and a wonderful picture of the church being taken out before the tribulation period. That's exactly what it is. God had tremendous compassion on the man of God because he walked with him consistently. Let me tell you something. You and I need to walk with God consistently if we truly want to experience the true compassion and love that Jesus Christ has for us. Oh, I know he's going to love us unconditionally. But let me tell you something. I want God to want to exhibit compassion. I want God to take me out before that, so to speak. Now, we don't have to work to get out before the tribulation. We're saved. We're born again. I understand all that. But listen, I want God's hand on my shoulder all the time. I don't want to have to worry about whether or not he's with me or I'm with him or any of that. And the fact is, is that the only way we ensure that we're where we need to be all the time is if we're walking with God consistently. And then you can know that God's got your back. You can know that. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to question it. You don't ever have to worry about that. So Enoch walked with God. So the first thing is that we noted, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's a relationship. You want true riches begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about how much money's in your bank account. Doesn't matter how well your car's running. That's not the issue. Doesn't matter how beautiful your wife or how handsome your husband is or how many children you have. No, it has to do with reality is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a true riches. That's something that's going to last forever. That's something that's there always. Then we go to the next phrase, I shall not want. We're talking about true riches. That's supply. The psalmist says, I shall not want. What he's saying is God's meeting my need. God's supplying every demand. That's a true rich. Those are true riches right there. When we support God's work, he supplies our needs. Somebody says, oh, I don't know about that. Well, over in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, the Bible says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What's going on here is that the Apostle Paul is receiving an offering from this particular church. And this particular church has sacrificed, this particular church has, an invested, has, been in, uh, uh, has a vested interest in the Apostle Paul. And man, they have made an investment in his ministry, in his life, and in the future of that ministry. <clears throat> it cost them something. It wasn't cheap. Nothing great is ever done for God on pocket change. Nothing. And this church made a tremendous investment in the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. And then he goes on to say, but my God, as a result, now watch, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You have sacrificed and you have supplied and you have purposely met my need and the need of the ministry. As a result of that, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. Now we often, we often decapitate these verses and read this one. And that's fine. I understand that. That's great. But let me tell you something. Just because you're a believer, you really believe a rebellious, disobedient child of God has a right to say, God, you are responsible and you are obligated to meet every one of my needs as I choose. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. First of all, what you think is a need may not be a need at all. When you're out of God's will, everything seems like it's so important and so necessary. Then you get right with God and all of a sudden you go, well, that wasn't really that important. God would have made it clear if it was. It really doesn't feel that way any longer. So the fact is, is that when we support God's work, he supplies our needs. Someone says, well, I'm not real good at that part of it. 
Well, you need to get practicing because God says it's a command, not just a request. Not only that, but God supply, God's supply is not only physical, but spiritual. It's, it's not only physical, but spiritual. You know, sadly enough, we, we sometimes, I think, would almost prefer to live in the Old Testament. Now, not, not for grace. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say there. Oh, we want salvation by grace through faith. You know, that law is rough. None of us can measure up to it, live up to it. We understand that. Don't want to have to sacrifice animals. That would be really gruesome. But here's the bottom line. In law, under law, early on, especially even before the law with Abraham and others, man, I'll tell you what, one of the, one of the great um, proofs that you were right with God was that you prospered physically. Physical prosper. Look at Abraham. Man, he had all kind of wealth. You know, it's interesting when the, the, the new, the, in, the, in the New Testament with uh, Jesus and his disciples, and they say, man, Lord, if a rich man can't get to heaven, who can? Why would they ask that question? Today we wouldn't ask that question, would we? Seems like a lot more poor people come to the Lord than rich people. But he says, if a rich guy can't get to heaven, who could? And he says, well, listen, man. He says, it's easier for a rich guy to get, uh, for, a, uh, for a, what do you say, a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But the point being is, is that in the Old Testament, all the Jew understood was prosperity and wealth as a result of a relationship with God. It was a physical manifestation of God's blessing in their life. In the New Testament, primarily, blessings come in spiritual form. Now, that may not sit well with us many times because we would much prefer to have the things of this world. But remember, those are really going to be burned up anyway. They're called worldly riches versus true riches. True riches have to do with the relationship with God and ultimately the supply that God provides for you and I. And, and the majority of supply is spiritual. I mean, the believer is complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and powers. Now, we look at Adam early on, and, and, he was in, and Eve was uh, uh, just a, a part of, or should I say she was a manifestation almost of him. Without him, she did not exist. That's all there is to it. Without Adam, there was no Eve. So Adam was infused in Eve. There was a rib there. Without her, him, that she would never have existed at all. And, and you know what? She's only complete in Adam. And you know what? The Bible shows us as being in a relationship or a marriage. God, the, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, He's the groom and, and we are the, the, you know, ultimately the bride. Do you know what you aren't without Him? Complete. It's impossible. You are not complete, neither am I without Christ. And again, here's the thing you have to understand. You don't exist without Christ. Not just that there's a part of you missing. No, you don't even exist without Christ, nor do I. That's the reality here. And so often we go through life as though we really don't need God. We, we include God, but we don't actually, we're not genuinely dependent on Him. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we got a job and we make money and as long as we can pay our bills, who needs God? As long as my car's running and my house, I have heat and I have air conditioning. And as long as my, my family's safe and everybody's feeling good and nobody has, you know, a, a real bad case of some disease. Man, we're in good shape around here. We're doing all right. And if we're not careful, we fall into the trap of somehow believing or resting in ourselves, depending on ourselves and somehow relying on ourselves. We wouldn't call it that. But the reality is we're not desperate for God. And, when you know, we know that when we look at our prayer lives. We know that's true. 
There's 24 hours in a day. And I dare say that probably, more than likely, there's not one person in the crowd that doesn't either listen to some form of media or watch television longer than they pray a day. And the reality is this. Obviously, God isn't, we're not that desperate to have God because we can just make it on our own. We're doing all right. So he says, that's not a fair analysis. That's not a fair comparison. Well, I don't know. Last time I checked, well, the last time I thought that I had a terminal disease or could have possibly had one, I spent a lot more time praying than I do every day now. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you the honest truth in my life. I don't know about you. Maybe you've never been in a spot like that, but I tell you what, it seems like you're on much quicker praying ground when you've got that going. Or, or the last time one of my children had a real problem, I had to take them to the hospital, wasn't sure what the problem was, and I thought there might be an emergency and there's a real issue. Oh, the last time my wife was in the hospital and the doctor came to me and said she may not make it through this surgery. Let me tell you something. I was in some praying ground then. Or the last time years ago, whenever they told me that my unit was going to be the next ones deployed over there to Iraq and we're going to be in the war. Let me tell you something. Three days, three times a day, I was on my knees praying and fasting. No, I I know a little bit about that too. I live in the same world you do. And let me tell you something. It's easy to get kind of caught up. It's easy to get distracted by the things of this world, even worldly riches. And even sometimes, depending on them, neglecting even the Lord, who the Bible says we would not even exist without him. And in reality, we are not even complete, nor do we exist. That's just amazing to me. I have to think about that. So we're not complete without Christ. We, we are completely dependent upon Him. 100% dependent upon Him. John 15, 4 through 5, continues to reiterate and, and kind of reinforce this reality. He says in John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. <clears throat> Let me tell you, when's the last time you saw a branch growing without a vine? When's the last time you saw it even living? It doesn't live without the vine. See, again, it's not just that we're complete even, it's that we are dependent on him for life itself. <clears throat> but notice, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. When's the last time you did nothing? I mean, the truth is, is that we find a way to get our problems solved. We deal with our circumstances, our situations all too often without even consulting God, let alone truly, truly depending on Him. You know, and I'm not here to be a negative, you know, stick in the mud, but I'm just, I'm, I'm confident. <clears throat> we were out with uh, Brother, um, we were out Brother Hamblin the other night after the service, and myself and, and the staff guys and, and Mr. Harris, we all went out guys that were kind of uh, point guys on this uh, men's conference thing. And so we all went out, we sat down and started talking about some things. And I made a statement to Brother Hamblin. I don't, I don't know if he 100% agrees with it or not. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But the fact is this. I think he did. If he didn't, he just pretended to. <clears throat> but here's what, here's what I, I said to him. I said the days of, of, the days of simply planning growth, seeing success because of our mechanics in the church, those days are over. They're over. The only thing that's truly going to bring success and truly bring the kind of results that we need to see in our church and in, across this country in America is going to be spirit-filled power. It, it's done. We're done. Listen, in the 70s, you do the right things, you get a result. 
You, you water. You go out and take the God. You don't, you don't have to pray a whole... I'm not, I'm not trying to be nasty and I'm not trying to be mean. Hey, I, this church started in 1994. Let me tell you something. There's a difference today than there was in 1994 even. There's a difference. I'm not saying it can't be done. You're, you're, you're misunderstanding if you think that's what I'm saying. I think that we just have to work twice as hard. The night's coming. You know? <laughs> you got to work, man. You got to work hard. But listen, just hard work's not going to get it done anymore. It's not going to get it done. There's going to have to be some real hard praying going on. You're going to have to be begging God for some spirit-filled power. We've got to have something that's going to in, in, infuse itself with the mechanics, infuse itself with the programming. It's not enough just to have a good Sunday school and a good outreach program. It's not good enough just to have adult Bible classes and have all the things that a church is supposed to have. That's not going to work. It doesn't get the job done anymore because people are so far away from God. They want nothing to do with the, the God of the Word of God. What they want is, is a, a God that meets or lives up to their expectation. I mean, today I think that creation is the real battleground. I'm confident of that. I think we need to be better versed at creation. I think we need to understand that we're going to be going out to knock on doors here this spring, and there's going to be more people that have never heard about Jesus, more people that have no real Christian background, more people that don't have any clue of what religion is even about, let alone Christianity. We're going to have to start starting from ground zero because there's no real background. You can't just, you know, we can't just hold on to the coattails of the yesteryears. We got to start to just start to tear up ground again. We got to start to just dig it back up and, and, and prepare ground again. And I want to see thousands of people come to Christ. That's not going to happen unless we're on our knees, unless we're experiencing that relationship and we're, we're being supplied by the only one that can really make it happen. Because without him, literally, we can do nothing and we're going to see nothing done and accomplished without him now. Even the flesh won't get it done. <clears throat> God supplies us with lasting hope. That's a pretty big blessing. That's, that's a pretty good, that's a big treasure. That's, the world doesn't possess that. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. And then he says in Ephesians 2.12 that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's legitimately where every lost man and woman is. Now again, it doesn't appear that way. Because if they have, if they have money in their pocket, if they've got a nice car, if they, they, they seem to be fitting in in society and having, you know, enjoying the things of this world, we go, man, kind of like, the psalmist did in chapter 73 of Psalms. Till I went into the sanctuary, then I understood their, their, understood their end. Amen. I mean, that's, that's the problem. And so we have to be careful. Some of you young people, <clears throat> uh, you know what, it, and, and you know what, it's older people now too, by the way. You know, because we're all trying to act like we're 30 and 40 all over again. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you, some of you young people, <clears throat> it's such a temptation to want to go out and experience the world. I mean, uh, I'd be a fool to tell you that there's not some pleasure in that. There is. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. It tells us that. But you know what? Like Moses, you've got to decide to hang with the people of God and, and, and say, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice on behalf of God. I'm going to, I want to avoid the consequences of that sin. I want to avoid the consequences of that lifestyle. Oh, yeah, on the immediate, on the onset, it's all glamour and glit. It all looks good. Let me tell you something. There's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. And you know what? You're going to pay the price just like everybody else has. But realize something, and sadly enough, there's no guarantee that that guy doesn't split today and Jesus Christ doesn't return. 
There's no guarantee you don't get the bad news from the doc tomorrow. There's no guarantee that you don't get in an accident on the way home tonight. And let me ask you something. Wouldn't it be a pitiful thing to be a Christian your whole life, growing up in God's house and serving the Lord and being faithful, and then to make a horrible decision and, bam, that quick be taken out into eternity? And, and think, how stupid was I to be faithful to this point and then to cease from it, and then I end up in the presence of God to be ashamed before Him. Someone says, man, that's, that's probably not going to happen. Well, what if it does? There's no guarantee it won't happen. You know what? We've we got to live for tomorrow. We don't live for today. Living for Jesus is worth it, young men and ladies. There's no better life in the world than the Christian life. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing that there are other options that are equally or on the same plane. It's not even remotely close. When you go to bed tonight and your conscience is clear, let me tell you something, that's worth more than any amount of money you'll ever make. <clears throat> so we have some true riches. Then he says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's pretty good. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. We see a relationship, we see supply. Now that's rest right there. It's a little lamb. See, look how rested, they're so rested. I mean, when's the last time you felt rested? You know, it, it's, it's a rat race we live in. It's a rat race. Man, but the Lord, I mean, when we meet with God, we can find rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Absolutely. The Lord Jesus Christ is there to give us rest. Rest, yes, amidst the cares of life. I love Psalm chapter 91, verse 1. It's, it's, it's become one of my favorite verses. But the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's, a good, that's, that's good stuff. That's really good. You know, you've got pressure at school, you have pressure at work, pressure in the home, pressure uh, as a, an employee, pressure as a father, pressure as a grandparent, pressure as a wife, pressure as a, a mother or father, pressure every time you turn around. It's just, there, it, it's there. It's called life. You don't get, a, you don't get a, a, around it. You just can't. But what you can do is get away from it in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go to Him and He can give you rest. <clears throat> Some of these guys around here had an all-night prayer meeting uh, Friday night at the, after the men's conference uh, going into Saturday's sessions. And man, I, I mean, one of the things that I was hearing is that they, they, they could feel and knew that they were in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's, a, there's something about being in the presence of Christ, guys, gals. There's something about that. Once you've ever experienced, I mean genuinely, legitimately experienced that, you, you'll always want it again. You know what the problem is in most, in, in most Christians' lives? They've never really been there. Well, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying we've never been there. And, and that's the place to be in the secret place. I, I love that. He says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Isn't that awesome to think that He's right there beside us and His shadow is just, you know, blocking that scorching sun, keeping us cool and refreshed in the midst of the day? Psalm 57, 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirst. My soul thirsteth after thee. Oh, wait, I'm getting two verses mixed up, I think. My soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. 
That was one of my memory verses. You can tell I'm really doing well with it. <clears throat> but anyway, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Again, amidst the cares of life. Man, that's, that's the place to be. That's the place to be in the, in the midst of the Lord. In 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So we find rest amidst the cares of life. We find rest amidst the circumstances of life. The Bible says in Job 5, 7, it says, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Yet man is born unto troubles as the sparks fly upward. Hey, Brother Chris, you ever have any troubles? You've had a few, huh? Sure you've had. Brother Dean, you got any troubles? Don't, don't, don't look at your mom like that. <laughs> um, Brother Bob, do you have any troubles in life? Sure you do. I won't ask my son-in-law because I know the world's perfect. See, his wife will say, yep, see, it is, isn't it? Yeah. What about you, brother? You got a few problems, huh? Sure. Hey, listen, we all got troubles, right? The Bible's true. Doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You know, one of the things we try to teach uh, Sunday school teachers and folks, even parents that work with their own children is you have to understand that a problem in a child's eyes is just as important as your problem. Okay, you say, that's no big deal. It's a big deal to them. Yeah, you take it serious. I'm not saying that you have to, you have to coddle them. You have to, no, sometimes you have to kick them in the backside and get them moving again and say, hey, listen, deal with it, man. This is life. That's okay. But still, it's a real problem. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. Also, gives us rest amidst the confusion of life. Confusion. The Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. But peace in the church, isn't that a good thing? That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Peace in the church. You know when there's not peace in the church, God's not the author of it? You realize that? Anytime there's upheaval and there's problems, I'm not saying that, that everybody's agreeing all the time on everything. I mean, we're human beings. We have different viewpoints and so forth. We understand that. But here's the thing, though. You know, when there is upheaval, when there is confusion, when there's problems like that, that's, that's, that's not God anymore. That's not God anymore. So be careful with that, whether it's the church or your home. When there's confusion in your home, God's not in it. Listen to me. God's not in that. God doesn't want a man going home at night or a woman coming home to her family and, and do a big mess all the time in total confusion. That's not how it's supposed to work. And if there's one place that you ought to feel safe and that you ought to feel as though it's a haven of rest to you, it ought to be your home. So that, it just ought to be that way. And that's why it's important, ma'am, if you're fortunate enough to be at home and raising your children as, as God would have you to do and you're excited about that and you're saying, man, this is my opportunity, let me tell you something. Make sure things are in order when your husband comes home. Do that. Well, I just, I'm wore out. I'm, I'm just tuckered out. Well, I, I hope he's working too. If he's not working, maybe you've got other problems. You ought to come see me. But the fact is, if he's a hard worker and he, he's coming home, man, you ought to have things ready so when he walks in the door, it's nice. He feels like, man, this is the, somebody says, that's male chauvinistic. Now, that's just good Bible. Amen. And that's just good for the family. Man, I'll tell you what, who wants, to, who wants to be involved in a mess? He comes home and he's angry now. He sees the toys out. He's tripping all over everything. And, and the kids are just sitting around screaming and going buck wild. You know, and he's like, man, I didn't come, want to come home to this. I'll just stay at work next time. 
Don't think men don't do that, by the way. Oh, they do that. Now listen, I, you know, teach the kids how to pick up the toys. You don't have to do it. Let the kids learn how to do it. You know? You're having a hard time with that one. That guy right there, he's trouble, I can tell. <laughs> no, I know better than that, brother. All right. So we, 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 we want to make sure that things are right there amidst the confusion of life. Then I'll tell you what, he gives us rest. He says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind. That's rest, isn't it? Let me ask you, if, 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 if I could ask you today, one-on-one, just me and you, and you were perfectly honest, and I said, tell me, when do you find your rest in the Lord? It, I'm telling you, you, you have to schedule it. If you don't schedule it to some degree, you've got to get with him before he gives you that peace and rest. And then throughout the day, you feel his presence with you. I want to encourage you to find that time in your life and don't let everything else steal it away. Yeah, the rest is, that's more valuable than any amount of money you can make. You say, well, I, I've got to get to work. Well, get up a little early. Well, I need that sleep. No, more important is that right there. Let me tell you something, that'll make your day go a lot better. You get, that, you get that in. You get that, that time in. You get with the Lord, and He starts dealing with the confusion in your life. He starts dealing with all the troubles and the cares and the confusion and the circumstances. That's good stuff. That's what it's all about. And uh, I, I just want to encourage you to work on your relationship with the Lord. That's priceless. Priceless. And uh, just realize the rest that He can give you, the supply that He gives you. That's more important than anything any employer can give you. How many, how many people have sold out God for that or sold out God for a car or a house or for a, 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 a summer home or have sold out God for sports or something else that they thought would really make the difference in their life. Let me tell you something. We are so blessed today as believers we stand right on the edge of blessing every day of our life. It's only up to us whether or not we receive it, Amen. whether we take that step into the arms of Christ or not. And you can, you can handle it however you want. You do it however you want. It's your business. You don't have to. Step back. Say, I'm just going to handle things. I'm going to do it like everybody else is doing it. No, we'll still love you. Still be here for you. Still encourage you. You need help, counsel, give me a call. I'll be more than happy to talk to you. Let me tell you something. Do yourself a favor and your family a favor. Just go ahead and step right on in. Just step in. Just, just get with him. He's the key. Priceless. Priceless. And that's what we need, the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you again for this time that we've had together in your word. Simple, nothing real difficult, nothing tough. But Lord, we thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word. So often, Lord, we're making it so complicated. Lord, uh, it's, it's not really. It's the basics. It's the fundamentals. Those